Well, welcome to a brand new year. I was thinking about possibly starting off with a round of applause from everybody as we transition into a new year. Uh, decided against that, but wasn't last year um, a wild ride? I was uh, thinking about an analogy to what the year 2020 felt like. And I was thinking about, you know, have you ever seen people who are civilians and decide or get invited to ride along in the cockpit with the Blue Angels, you know, those uh, planes that can go up to 700 miles per hour and pull about seven to eight Gs while they twist or turn. Frankly, as, as I think about an invitation to ride along, that's like my worst nightmare. I mean, I get stomach sick on a tilt-a-whirl, much less the Blue Angels, where you're twisting and contorting and your face is being smushed, you know, because of the sheer force of, of turning not being in control, not knowing where it's going or what you're going to be doing as you just ride along. And I'm like, that's, that's kind of what uh, the year 2020 felt like. And yet, as we stand here at the beginning or sit at the beginning of a brand new year, God is still with us. God is still in control. God still loves us. And frankly, we don't know whether 2021 for sure is going to be better or not. It may not be. But as we stand here at the beginning of a, of a new journey, of a new year, here's what I do know. That God is going to walk with us in this upcoming year as well. And that should give all of us a lot of hope a lot of optimism and a lot of confidence. But one of the things I'm hoping for this brand new year is that as we travel, as we journey, that we might be able to travel with a little less weight on our shoulders, that we might be able to travel a little bit lighter in a very specific way in this series. Let me explain what I mean. The year 2020 was a year where there was a lot of anger. A lot of people feeling offended by lots of different things. And let's be clear, anger's been around for a long time. All the way back to the Garden of Eden, there was anger, right? But let's also be clear that in the United States of America, according to Gallup polls, that the percentage of Americans who are angry has continued to rise over the last number of years, the last decade or so. And this past year, you felt it, didn't you? Whether it was observing people or feeling it in your heart. In fact, if you're not sure exactly what I mean, um, be careful about your blood pressure for the moment, but I'm going to throw up on the screen uh, a bunch of words that might elicit a little bit of a emotion in you. Uh, here's some words from the last year. I kind of started in January. Some of you forgot about this, but impeachment, China flu, mandatory masks, shelter in place, online school, online church, protests, Riots, 
shutdowns, or even worse, I didn't even put it up on the screen, shutting down again, okay? Defund the police, Supreme Court nominees, Donald Trump, and if that doesn't raise your ire, then I threw the, you know, the other person, Joe Biden, election results, vaccinations, canceled sports. Okay, I just went from January to November, December, and all along the way, there were words and there were topics that just really, really got people going and most likely for some of you got you going as well. 2020 didn't play any favorites. There was something for everyone to be offended by. It was a year filled with intensity of anger. And and all of this gets even more intensified because we live in an era when anybody sitting on their living room couch can post something on social media that thousands of people read or take and that is provocative or incendiary or whatever it might be. And I'd, I'd really like to say that Christians, that people who know Jesus have been above the fray in all of this, that generally speaking, when you look out, when you read things, that Christ followers have have handled offense better. But I've got to confess, I don't think we have. I think in some ways, Christians, people who follow Jesus sometimes and in some ways tend to handle anger and offense, dare I say, the worst at times. They were not able to handle it very well. I'm a part of a pastor coaching network. And this past year, one of the books that we read was a book called Unoffendable. It's not even a word. And it's a goal that I think is also kind of impossible. But it brought up something that's really important for us to consider and to think about. The idea behind the book is the idea and the importance of the glory and the blessing of overlooking an offense instead of holding on to an offense. That there is peace, there is calm, there is less weight on our shoulders. We are able to travel more lightly when we when we find the ability in the right way to overlook an offense rather than to hold on to an offense. Let me be clear about something. There are going to be things in life that cause you offense. You can take that to the bank. It's going to happen. It happened last year. It's going to happen this year. There are going to be things that cause you offense. And this is because, guys, we live in a broken world. This is not the Garden of Eden. This is not heaven. There are, we live in a broken world where there's sin and there's disappointment and there's heartbreak and there's injustice and there are hurtful people But here's what I also know, and here's what I want you to glob onto, and then we're going to kind of unpack this for the rest of this series. It's our first fill-in. That yes, offense will happen, but you and I have a choice in how we are to respond to it. Offenses are going to happen. Um, What's an offense? An offense is an anger or a resentment brought about by a perceived injustice. 
And these things are going to happen, but you can choose how to respond. And here's why I think this is something that all of us are interested in. Because none of us want to be angry people. I don't know anyone that says, you know what? I want to grow up and be really bitter and angry. None of us want to be those types of people. Because here's what we know. We, we know that angry people aren't usually happy people. Angry people aren't usually optimistic people. Angry people aren't people that others really want to be around. If you grew up with an angry person, someone who is always angry, I mean, we all have a little bit of this in us, but someone who's constantly angry, there's this, you kind of tiptoe on eggshells around angry people, people who lose their tempers a lot because you're not sure when the next shoe is going to drop. And, and none of us want to be that person. And that is why this series in so many ways is applicable to all of us. Listen to what Solomon says in a, a letter that he wrote called Ecclesiastes. He says this, do not be quickly provoked in your spirit. He speaks against a quick temper, okay? For anger resides in the lap of fools. Someone who's always angry, Solomon says, is a fool and often will act like a fool. This is such an applicable topic I hope you see, to 21st century America. And as we get started in this first week, um, we're going to find some direction for us uh, through God from a pastor in the first century named Paul. Paul's a Christian who, if there was someone who had the right to be angry with how people treated him, or even maybe from a human perspective, angry at God for the things that he had to go through, I suppose he would be someone who could relate to that. In his letter to the Ephesian Christians, um, what he does at the beginning of that letter is he lays out how and why a Christian's life should be different. That when we come to know that Jesus is our savior, that we have hope for heaven, that earth is a desert drear, but heaven is our home, that we've been given new life, that everything changes. It changes the way we look at life. It changes the way we look at others. It changes the way we find our purpose in life. We have hope for eternity. And that change starts Right now, we don't have to wait for heaven to be changed. By God's Holy Spirit, we get to live a new and different life right now. And so in this letter, with that introduction, Paul talks a little bit about anger. Today, we're just gonna look at two verses, but two very practical and very powerful verses. Ephesians chapter four, we begin verse 26. Paul writes to the Ephesians and to us, in your anger, do not sin. 
And what I want to do in unpacking this is take you back to the original language to Greek. And that encouragement about anger actually comes through an imperative verb where maybe better translated um, in the Greek would be, be angry, but do not sin. Be angry, but don't sin in your anger. And so what what I want you to understand is, is that anger, the roots of it doesn't necessarily need to be always bad. I was listening to a pastor named Tim Keller. He's one of the guys that I love to listen to online. His messages are just filled with a lot of gold. And what he kind of brought out is so true and is what kind of Paul's trying to get to the heart at, that a lot of times we think of anger being the opposite of love. And for those of you who know uh, this command from Jesus, he said that the sign of a Christian, of someone who follows Jesus, is going to be love. And so often we get this mixed up. We think that anger is the opposite of love and what God has called us to do. And Tim Keller brings out that's not true. Do you know what he says the opposite of love is? That the opposite of love is apathy. The opposite of caring about someone is apathy, because apathy designates you could care less. But when you love someone, when you love something, anger's not the opposite, it's part of it. Anger and love are not the opposites. They go together. Let me give you an example. Um, how many of you get really angry when the Los Angeles Chargers lose a game? Probably none of us. You know why? You don't care about the LA Chargers, right? So there is no anger that comes out, but fill in the blank with your favorite football team and a bonehead decision that the coach makes or a, a weird trade that the GM makes. Like all of a sudden you're getting angry because why? Because anger is not the opposite of love. Anger is a part of love. Anger denotes, reminds you that you care about something. Now, it might be a distorted type of love. It might be a selfish type of love, but the roots of it is that you care. So as we unpack this, our second fill-in is this, that it's important to understand the reason for your anger. It's important when you're feeling anger rise up, it's important for you to understand the reason behind it. Is there some harm, some injustice, some abuse going on that God would not be pleased with? Is that what's bringing up this anger? And if so, that could be a righteous anger. Or instead, maybe, is it a slight against me? Am I offended because I'm not getting my way? Have I put my deal in front of God's deal? (laughs) Say it this way. Is the reason why I'm angry because the person I love more than anyone is me and I'm protecting myself and my wants and my desires. And 
No one can answer that question, I don't think, except you. Maybe some close people around you have some hints as to the reason. But when you're feeling anger come up, here's my encouragement. Check your heart. Check your heart. Check your heart. Why am I offended right now? What's the reason? What am I holding on to? And then Paul continues. In your anger, don't sin. Be angry, but not in a sinful way. And, and then he gives us some encouragement as to how to do that. He says, don't let the sun go down while you're still angry. And I remember uh, one of the first times I heard this talked about from a pastor, I think he used the, the context of, of marriage. And he said something like, you know, if you're angry with your spouse uh, at some point, uh, that you shouldn't go to bed until, you know, you are all feeling better, that you're at peace. And as I think about this now that I am married, I think maybe the, the magic behind that is if you stay up until you're no longer angry, you get so exhausted two days later that you just pass out and you forget that you're angry or something like that. I don't know. Uh, probably not the specific application that you can't go to bed until... Everything's figured out. That's impossible. The bigger point behind this is our third villain. Deal with your anger quickly. Don't let anger, whether it's righteous or not, whether it's founded in, in love in, in, uh, in a right way or a wrong way, just don't let that anger sit too long. Don't let anger stew. Don't let anger simmer. Don't let the sun go down on a season of your life and you're still holding on to anger from a previous season. Don't let a new year come and you're still holding on to anger from the previous year. Don't take your anger from one relationship into another relationship. Get rid of anger quickly. Now, some of us maybe know and maybe are thinking about the reality that didn't Jesus get angry? I mean, didn't he go into the temple, turn over tables, have a cord of, uh, of leather strands, and he, he was raising a lot of heck in that temple, wasn't he? So why is anger so dangerous if Jesus got angry? Let me explain it this way. When you're working in the kitchen, having a sharp knife can be an amazingly important tool. Whether it's cutting meat or cutting vegetables or even sometimes, a lot of times, to eat food, you have to have a very sharp knife. It's an important tool in the kitchen. What happens when you give a sharp knife to a three-year-old? They may be able to do some good things with it, but the longer they hold on to it, the longer they have it, the more dangerous it's going to be. So if you have a three-year-old and they're holding a sharp knife, what might you tell them? Put it down. Get rid of it as quickly as you can. Put it down quickly. 
That's what Paul's telling us about anger. It's a helpful instrument. It's a tool that reminds us of maybe a rightful injustice, but we want to get rid of it quickly. And here's one reason why we're not as good at navigating anger as God. First off, God only has righteous anger. For you and me, if we're to be honest, sometimes our anger comes because we had a bad day and we're crabby or we're putting too much on ourselves. God only has righteous anger. And secondly, he's able to navigate that anger perfectly all the time. So a bit, little bit later in this letter, a few verses later, we don't have time to, to look at them in depth. But Paul says, he doesn't say, get rid of your anger, first off. He says, he's, he, he looks at a list of things that are bad outcomes of anger. He says, get rid of all bitterness. And then you think of frustration and outrage and hatred and contempt. Anger in of itself can be righteous, but when we hold on to it, these things happen and none of these things are good. The Bible never says, be bitter, but in a way that doesn't sin or hate. In a way. No, when we hold on to anger too long, when we allow, allow an offense to stew in our minds and in our hearts, the result are a lot of things that aren't good. You've know this, you've felt it, you've lived it. And Paul says this, he says, in your anger, don't sin, get rid of it quickly and don't give the devil a foothold. What Paul's saying is that when we allow anger to sit in our hearts too long, that what we're doing is we're giving the devil a place to hold on to in our hearts and in our lives. And he would love nothing more than to take us to that list of places that I just showed of bitterness and frustration and contempt. And when we allow anger to sit, it's like giving the devil a foothold in our lives. So what should we do about it? To go back to the idea of our first fill-in, number four, choose not to be offended. Choose to be unoffendable. Put down the weight of offense. And let me say this. Our goal is not going to be perfection, or at least the result is not going to be perfection, but can we set out on a better direction? We have direction not perfection. And we're going to fail at this, but can we do better? Absolutely. So how do we choose not to be offended? Well, forgiveness is a big part of it. We're going to take all next week to talk about forgiveness. So I'm not going to touch on that a whole lot today. Today, I want to turn 
to some words from Solomon in the book of Proverbs when he writes this, Proverbs chapter 19. A person's wisdom, a wise person will be patient. That that same Tim Keller, he talks about there being no anger, blow anger, or slow anger. And sometimes people need to be a little more interested in things going on in life. So no anger isn't always the right thing. Blow anger is the one who's not patient and they just blow up. It's like a grenade that they throw into a room and those are the people you walk around on eggshells around, right? That's never good, blow anger. But what can be wise is that slow anger. A person's wisdom yields patience. It is to one's glory to overlook offense. Solomon tells us that it's possible to choose not to be offended, to recognize there might be an injustice had to me, but I'm going to choose not to stew on it, that we can look above it, overlook the offense. And so the the question that I have for us when we're in moments and in seasons of, of anger is, what are you focusing on? In those moments, what are you focusing on? If you wake up every morning focusing on the injustice that was done to you, you're going to be angry, likely. And it's going to turn into bitterness and into contempt. It's, It's the person who had something bad happen to them. And for the rest of their life, they view themselves as a victim. That's the focusing on the offense. What are you focusing on? It's the person, and and I've seen this happen also in church, but it happens in other areas of life too, where maybe there's one thing you don't like about work or one person you don't like at school or one thing you don't like about church And all of a sudden, that one little slice, maybe it's 10%, all of a sudden you're seeing everything through those same lenses and you become bitter about the whole organization. What are you focusing on? If certain news networks get you upset or offended, why are you watching them? If certain social media platforms get us angry, get off them. If certain people get us offended a lot, still love them, but hide their feed. What are you focusing on? Here's how you overlook an offense. You need to look somewhere else. You need to daily and strategically look somewhere else. And let me say it this way. It's hard to be weighed down by offense when we're focused on what Jesus has done. It's hard to travel with the weight of offense when we're focused daily on Jesus and what he has done. Have people hurt you? Yes. Is there injustice in the world? Yep. Are people jerks on the highway? Yeah, 
Sorry about that. Are people jerks at work? Yep. At school? Yeah. Sometimes at church? Possibly. Have you ever been a jerk? Yeah. Have you ever caused offense to somebody, knowingly or unknowingly? Well, if you're not sure, here's what I know. We've all caused offense to God. He sets out a perfect plan for our lives. And sometimes daily, we screw it up. We make Jesus and living for him a footnote in our story some days or some seasons instead of the main point of the story. We cause God offense all the time. And Jesus came and he picked up all the weight of that offense And instead of holding it over us or instead of putting it back on your backs to be weighed down by that offense, he picked it up and he carried it all the way to the cross and got rid of it forever because he does not want you to travel heavy. He wants you to travel light. You don't need to bear the weight of your offense against God. And when we recognize just how amazingly we've been blessed, even though we're ones that, every one of us that have offended God so much. There is this amazing gratitude that spills up into our hearts. And when we're thankful, what happens to anger? It gets less. When we're thankful and grateful, what happens? Bitterness begins to Go away a little by little. It's hard to be weighed down by offense when we're focused on what Jesus has done. So let me close with two practical applications to this. The first is this. Trust that God knows what he's doing. And and I am not saying that when something happens in our country or in our world that's against God's plan that we should be like, oh, that's great. No, it's not great but recognize that God is in control. It's not up to us to make sure that the scales are balanced all the time. I think a lot of times the reason why Christians are so upset is because we trust less than we should. God is not guaranteed that our life is gonna be great or this country is gonna be perfect. But instead of being offended, what if we just trust that God knows what he's doing? And the other one, engage in conversations to help loosen the grip of offense. When you've been offended by someone, maybe you live in the same house as them, or maybe you see them at family reunions, or maybe it's someone you you see in the neighborhood. When I see bitterness happen between people the most is when they don't talk about it. And they just Build these walls between them. But you know what tears down walls and loosens the grip of offense is having a conversation. Humbling ourselves to talk. And remember, part of a conversation is 
to listen. So the goal is not for you to go into it proving your point. The goal is to listen and to talk. And when those things happen with people who have offended us, well, that anger begins to loosen its grip. We're at the beginning of a new year. Last year, I saw so many people, sometimes me too, walking with the heavy weight of offense. But this year, let's work on traveling light. Don't be content to be angry, but instead, let's choose with God's grace, God's help to be unoffendable. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, we, uh, we thank you that you are walking with us every step of the way. And Lord, sometimes we carry weights with us, whether that be guilt about the past or in this series, whether it be the anger and offense of, you know, that we have uh, from other people, that we carry around weight that we were not intended to carry. Lord, through your word and in this series, help us to travel lightly. We don't want to be angry people. And by your Holy Spirit and through your strength and your grace, we are able to live with less offense, to live in the joy and gratitude for all that you've done for us. And I pray for that direction and for your presence as we do that. Point us to the cross, which is the source of our forgiveness and the source of our strength. We pray all this in Jesus, our Savior's name. Amen. Amen.